Scripture this morning comes from the 10th chapter of Luke. We are continuing with the series Short Stories, the Parables of Jesus. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. And whether uh, somebody goes to church or not, whether somebody's ever read the Bible or not, uh, at least in our culture, there's a uh, very strong likelihood that they have heard of the phrase, the Good Samaritan. I've been encouraged to be a good Samaritan. We have laws uh, across the land that are labeled Good Samaritan laws to protect us. In fact, as uh, this past week uh, unfolded and we had training in CPR and and how to use the uh, AED devices that we are shortly going to be having or receiving in the church, we were told by the instructor that uh, I think somebody asked the question, well, what, what happens if things don't go right and we help? And, and uh, the instructor, as a way to encourage us not to be bold in, in making sure that we helped somebody if we found them in distress, said that there are laws in Indiana and indeed across the country that protect us uh, so that we can be good Samaritans and not, not be sued if things don't go as we hope for. It is uh, part of our culture, this idea of being a good Samaritan. I think in some ways we have lost some of the uh, significance of who the good Samaritan actually was, you know, the person that he was, and what he actually did. And I think in other ways, we, uh, by losing that, we have diminished Uh, to an extent, what it means to be a good Samaritan and how difficult it can be to take the time to be a good Samaritan. The story begins with an encounter that Jesus has with a Pharisee or a lawyer. And it revolves around a question that the lawyer later asks. In the dialogue. So hear these words from the 10th chapter of Luke, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest going down the other side of the road, or going down that road, and he saw what had happened, he passed by on the other side from where the man lay. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he, moved, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put, uh, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. That is God's word for us this day. Well, to love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself meant then and it means now that you often have to reject society's rules in favor of the values of the kingdom of God. And there are only two rules as it relates to uh, the kingdom of God. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor. Well, what underlies the lawyer's question and what underlies the telling of this story is the concept, the idea of love, God's love. And love moves in three directions. Love moves from God to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to us. In the third chapter of Romans, in the 23rd verse, it describes, Paul describes for us exactly what the conditions were when God came into this world through God the Son. What the scripture says is that God comes to us while we're yet sinners, while we're sinners. And what it goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, is that we're all sinners, fallen short of the glory of God. There are no exceptions to that. All of us are in the same boat. None of us can justify ourselves before God. The lawyer, wanting to justify himself, asks the question, well, who's my neighbor? There is no way to justify ourselves before God, and we don't have to. God has already done that. God has come and moves toward us in love. We can love because God loved us first. There's nothing that disqualifies us from God's love. There's nothing that separates us from God's love. God loves us. The second part of that movement is we love neighbor because God loved us first. And because uh, God loved us first, we can not only love neighbor, we love God. We move toward God in, one, uh, in that direction. We move from us to God. So in Matthew, the fifth chapter, Jesus speaks to us. He says this, It is no big deal if you like the people, if you love the people who love you. If you're okay with the people who are like you. And you like them. It's no big deal to do that. 
And that's really not what I'm asking you to do because that's already happening. What I'm asking you to do is to love your enemies. What I'm asking you to do is to love those who are different from you. What I'm asking you to do is to love the people that you don't want to have anything to do with. What I'm asking you to do is to see that person as your neighbor. And regardless of what their lifestyle is, regardless of what their race is, regardless of what their ethnicity is, regardless of what their religion is, because I love you, I want you to love them. We move from us to God. We know we express our love to God. And because we love God, the God who loved us first, then we move toward each other, toward looking at each other as neighbors. And in 1 John, the fourth chapter, it says, you can do the other two things, pretty much. You can love, love God or say you love God, you can recognize that God loves you. But John goes on to say, in that fourth chapter, guess what? If you cannot love the person in front of you, whoever that person is, if you can't love the people who God has populated your life with, whoever those people are, and however it is that you encounter them, If you can't love them, don't say you love God. You're a liar. If you say you love God, you must love others. You must treat them as as neighbors. There's no exception to that. John says, if you can't love the thing that's right in front of you, If you can't love the people you see, if you can't love the people God has put in your life, however they come into your life, if you can't love them, don't say you love God who you haven't seen. The way you know God, the way you draw closer to the God that you say you love is by loving the people that God put in your life. So, as the story moves to the story of the Good Samaritan, you got to deal with the priest and the Levite, the guys who walk by on the other side of the road, the guys that we always hammer, you know, the guys that we don't want to be like, uh, the guys that we pretty much say we'll never be like. Oh, we would never do that. And we read about stories that happened, and it seems like when I was younger, much younger, uh, New York City was always, you know, I lived, grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and so it was fun to pick on New York City, you know. Uh, and so anytime, it seemed like anytime there was a, a, a story about somebody who failed to be a good Samaritan, you know, and didn't help, then, then that appeared in the Atlanta paper. Look at those Yankees up there. Boy, they don't know how to be good Samaritans. And that worked okay until there started to be stories about people in Atlanta who were doing the same thing. 
walking by on the other side of the road. Well, let me say this about those two people. You know, sometimes even we take them to task, and certainly their, we could say their, their behavior wasn't commendable, but sometimes good reasoning can learn, lead to poor decisions. Because these fellows had two good reasons not to help. First, to help would have disqualified both men from being able to perform their religious duties. One a priest, one a Levite, a temple assistant. They were going to lose their jobs, perhaps. Why? If you were, mar- you were marked as unclean if you came into contact with a uh, corpse, a dead person. Handling that, would, uh, that uh, if the person had been dead, or handling that dead person, which they assumed he was dead, would have defiled the priest and the Levite and uh, prevented them from working. They wouldn't have been able to work. So, better safe than sorry. And along the other side of the road they walked. The second reason... The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was dangerous. It was a dangerous place to be. Just like some, some part of virtually every city that's of any size at all, the people who live in that town, live in that city, can tell you where not to go. Not a good idea to be in that place, in that area. In that community, a lot of crime there. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem uh, was uh, notorious for robberies, uh, for bandits that frequently committed violence uh, as a part of the, uh, the robbery that was taking place. It was dangerous. So it just made sense to walk on the other side of the road. After all, it could have been a trap. Could have been a way to get them to stop, to uh, create more exposure for themselves, and for them to be uh, perhaps robbed and beaten and laying in the ditch alongside this person. So, down the other side of the road they went. And, if we're honest about it, most of us, if we've been in a situation where we've walked on the other side of the road, it's been because of that reason it was too dangerous or we perceived it was too dangerous to stop and help well let's look at what the good Samaritan actually did first of all he delayed his journey we can assume that he was going from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho or vice versa, that he obviously had some place to go. He had some place he needed to get to. He was on the road for a reason. He was trying to get somewhere. This was obviously inconvenient if he had to stop, but he delayed the journey. He took the time to stop. Set aside what it was going to cost him personally, perhaps, by stopping the inconvenience, the delay in the journey. He stopped he, second, he accepted the risk. He knew it was dangerous. And he accepted that risk. And oftentimes, 
when we uh, encounter somebody that's in need, whatever the need may, may be, there's some risk involved in it. <clears throat> it may be uh, physical risk, possibly. It may be the risk of uh, feeling like we've been taken advantage of or trapped, lied to. We don't want to you know, be deceived. And so we just don't deal with it. We just keep walking. Samaritan accepted the risk. He expended great energy. So I'll confess to you that, that oftentimes, uh, you know, perhaps in my good intention to try to help somebody, the story becomes too involved. There's too much delay. There's too much energy that has to be expended. It doesn't just involve helping the person on the sidewalk as, as perhaps I thought it might. So, maybe, I, maybe I'm like a, just a half of a, ten, maybe a 10% of a good Samaritan. I'm thinking sometime, well, okay, well, I, I thought this was going to be simple. It's not. It's very complicated. Um, I got things I got to do, places I need to be, so on and so forth. It's easier for me to reach in my pocket and give a person a dollar or two dollars so I can move on. And I guess I've done something, but I hadn't done what the Good Samaritan did. The Good Samaritan stopped. He bound up the person's wounds, took care of them. Not only did he do that, dress, dress the person's wounds, sanitize them under the customs of that day, pour oil and, and wine on the wound, and then he puts them on his own animal. And then he takes them to an end to be taken care of, not by the innkeeper, not by anybody that's there at the end at that immediate moment. He takes them to the end, and he takes care of them. Through the night. And then the next day, when he's ready to leave, not only has he done all this, spent the, accepted the risk, delayed his journey, spent great energy, he decides even to go further, the extra mile, as Jesus says, he spends two days' wages. Two denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. And... He gives assurance to the innkeeper that I'll follow up, I'll be back, and if there's any additional expense, I'll take care of that too. That's what the Good Samaritan did. Now, who the Good Samaritan uh, in Jewish culture, in culture contemporary to, Jewish, uh, to Jesus' time, he was unclean, ceremonially unclean, because he was... Uh, he was of a different ethnicity. He was mixed race. Uh, he was from a group of people that had intermarried with Assyrians centuries earlier. People who had been part of the tribes of Israel who had intermarried and defiled the bloodlines and so on and so forth. And the, the people in around Jerusalem, Jewish folk, didn't, they were unclean people, didn't want to have anything to do with them. They were outcast. 
social outcast. Don't go near him. He was a religious heretic. Those folks up north practiced a different religion and a different faith. They didn't worship at the temple. They had these shrines all over the place in the mountains and such. Religious heretic. Unclean, social outcast, religious heretic. Think of the person, the last person in the world that you would expect would offer you help. That's the Good Samaritan. Think of what the Good Samaritan did. Expended energy. Delayed his journey. Accepted risk. Spent money to help the person. Followed up with the person. That's the Good Samaritan. Most of the time we think uh, good, good Samaritans are like random acts of kindness, which are great things. I, I experienced it just a couple weeks ago. I was in MCL uh, getting ready to eat dinner, and somebody behind me in the line said, Don't, I'll pay for him. You didn't have to pay. Don't, I'll pay for him. I, I, the guy just happened to come in late. I knew the guy. I was, certainly was not expecting him to pay for the meal. In fact, I turned to him. I said, Bill, if I'd known you were going to pay for it, I'd have gotten more food. <laughs> And it was great. I mean, it was just a wonderful, you know, kind of serendipitous moment. You know, just great. But that's different from intentional acts of grace. Taking the kind of time that this Samaritan took to do what he did. And spend all the kind of time that he spent. The great concern that he showed. And really... In some way, although Jesus doesn't say this, he, the, the story ends with asking the question. The lawyer has to answer the, the, the question that he asked. Well, who's the guy that is? You know, who's, who's the guy that's the good neighbor? Who's the guy that loves, who's expressed God's love? Who's the guy that moved towards somebody else? And the lawyer says, the one who did and showed mercy. And Jesus says, well, go and do likewise. And that's it. Go and do likewise. It's important to remember always that your neighbor and you, my neighbor and me, that our neighbor and all of us, we're all people for whom Christ died. And just as nothing does separate us from the love of God, it's ours in Christ Jesus. Nothing should separate us from our desire to want to love and help other people. Just go. Go. And do likewise. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for opportunities to serve. Lord, we, uh, we confess that oftentimes we walk by the, on the other side of the road or, or try to, uh, to make the, uh, the helping moment as easy as possible, as quick as possible. We don't want it to cost too much. But God, give us a heart for people because we have a heart for you. Because we know that you have a heart for us. That you love us. 
in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.